2: And welcome to Awesome Etiquette.
3: Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty.
2: On today's show, we take your questions on rejected baked goods, toilet seats at work, being left on red, and comments about chunky babies.
3: For Awesome Etiquette sustaining members, we talk about kids who are crazy for bouncy houses and how to handle them.
2: Plus, your most excellent feedback, etiquette salute, and a postscript segment on RSVP wedding etiquette.
3: All that's coming up.
2: Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be produced in Burlington, Vermont, by the Emily Post Institute.
3: I'm Lizzie Post.
2: And I'm Dan Post-Senning.
3: And we are almost through sharing a house guest. We are. <laughs> How'd we do? We, I think we did pretty well. <laughs> I wanted him back a little sooner.
2: I was going to say, you told me I've been feeling a little greedy. <laughs> He's like my bestest, oldest friend. <laughs> it was so comforting. It was like discovering an old article of clothing.
3: That, you, that really you really missed. really,
2: liked and missed and haven't worn in a long time. And it makes you Feel like you felt when you used to wear that article of clothing? You're that
3: G. You're an old sweatshirt.
2: (laughs) You're that comfortable. You're that familiar. I love you dearly. But you had a good time, also.
3: Oh yeah, G and I had an awesome time together. Uh, We went up to visit some friends in Northwestern Vermont, and then we also I got to go out to numerous meals with him, and that was really fun because he really loved the restaurants we went to in Burlington, Revolution Kitchen in particular. He didn't want. To go anywhere else. And sadly, they had like a gas line break the next night, so we couldn't go. And then they were closed Sunday, Monday, so we couldn't go the other two nights. But it was really, it was really quite funny. He was like, no, let's just go back to the good one. Let's just go back to the good one.
2: <laughs> you give the credit to Revolution Kitchen. I give the credit to you being oh, an excellent great. host. He <laughs> continued to talk about it and he continued <laughs> to mention how he thought every restaurant in Burlington was better or superior to every restaurant in Southern California. <laughs> Sorry, California. I don't, yeah, we
3: don't mean to laugh at that. It's just we do hear that
2: a lot. Like,
3: and not to compare to California, but just the, in general, the food up here tastes really great. You're here at the end of summer. Yeah.
2: You can't go wrong. It's like
3: basically the high peak of the best harvest season, in my opinion, because you're getting all the fresh tomatoes and everything like in
2: that. A in a farm-to-table community. farm-to-table, exactly. <laughs> it was fun for me. To introduce Jordy to Pooja and the girls, he hadn't met either of my daughters yet. But it was also fun because I took him around to see Brother Will and my parents and other people he'd known for years. Yeah, we
3: met up at the fair. Your parents walked in right behind us. It was like, wait a second, hey, we're going to go meet your son in a second.
2: And as a little aside, I really appreciated your willingness to come to the fair. Anisha had such a good time. She loved it.
3: I thought it was a great thing to go do when it's in town. It's really fun. It's like you get a really great slice of Vermont life at it.
2: So, Well, I appreciated it. And I also took Jordy to the fantasy football draft. And that was kind of fun because there were people there that had these vague memories of him from 20 years ago. They were saying, I think I've met this guy before. before. I was saying, yeah, no, there's a good chance – your paths crossed when you were like twenty-one, twenty-two. And he
3: didn't have dreadlocks then.
2: <laughs> no, no, he didn't. He didn't. <laughs>
3: Okay, but for real, the thing that I liked most about G coming home last night, back to stay with me, was that he said that you guys are still kind of like running wingman game together because you were all out hanging out and G was getting to know Puja and he was telling her all these crazy stories. Y'all, Dan tells you about his family life. He doesn't tell you about his 20s where like they got lost in a jungle in Costa Rica and Dan like disappears and then finds a way to save everyone like he's got these stories that quietly surface over the years, but I've known them all because I see you every single year. Pooch is just starting to learn some. So here's G telling all the incredible, like, Dan the the Explorer stories, and she's, like, getting all wide-eyed, like, oh, my husband's really amazing.
2: What else don't I know? Yeah,
3: exactly. With this adventurous life you had prior to me, dear.
2: Always the risk when you get together with old college friends and There's no question Jordy would have been a best man at my wedding and making a toast if it had been possible. It wasn't. He was doing a family reunion in South Africa at the time, which if I wasn't getting married at the time, I probably would have 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 gone to. But I was always a little nervous about G's Toast. (laughs) And in some ways, this whole weekend was like the extended version of Jordy's Toast at my wedding.
3: Relief, right? Relief. I mean, And of
2: course, he handled it really well. He made me look really good. The weekend was over and Pooch was (laughs) like, that was so much fun. And I love you,
3: sweetie. (laughs) It was very cute to hear about that upon his return.
2: Well, I'm sorry I hogged so much of his time because I was glad you were getting to spend some time with him also.
3: Hey, if we get through this podcast, I can still catch lunch with him before I take him to the airport. Well, let's do it. Let's do it. Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions on how to behave. If you have a question for us, you can email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Leave us a voicemail or a text message at 802 858 KIND. That's 802 858 5463. On Twitter, we are at Emily Post Inst. On Instagram, we are at Emily Post Institute. And on Facebook, we are Awesome Etiquette. Just use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette with your social media posts so we know you want your question on the show. Sustaining members, remember to put Sustaining Member in your message. We'll answer your questions on the Sustaining Member site where you can access an ads-free version of the show and all your bonus questions. Awesome Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth.
2: Our first question is sadly about a rejected cake. Good morning, Lizzie and Dan. I witnessed a tricky situation that my mother-in-law found herself in and was wondering what your advice would be. My in-laws and their neighbors have been friends for many years, and recently the husband of the neighbors passed away. My mother-in-law cannot attend the funeral as she has work, a doctor, and my father-in-law is out of town for an important meeting. My mother-in-law baked a cake and sent a lovely card to the neighbor with her condolences and explaining that they will not be able to attend the funeral. However, the neighbor returned the cake on their doorstep with a typed note stating that their presence was what mattered, in a slightly harsher tone. My mother-in-law was a bit flummoxed and not sure what to do. I told her that the transaction of the gift and condolence had already taken place and that she was under no obligation to take the matter further. I also reminded her that the wife was in the process of grieving and that her etiquette might not be up to scratch at the moment. Thoughts? Maybe ideas for future interactions after the funeral? Kind regards. Rejected cake.
1: Now
3: this is a conundrum. It's a tough one. This is a really tough one. This is one of those where, okay, so we are g- good things, rejected cake, by the way, identifying that this person is going through a grieving process and yep. likely just this might be the thing. This might be that thing they decide to take things out on and be angry and upset about because there's anger and there are things to be upset about and you don't have a place to put them properly. Now, we are not therapists, so we really don't want to lean too heavily on this person portion of the conversation, but it's really important to recognize that this person isn't operating under their kind of normal brain, I would say. Typed note, I'm noticing as well. That could just be because so many notes are coming in, so many things. You never know what someone's hand status is. I know that sounds like a really weird thing to say, but as my family uh, ages, I am noticing more and more have trouble with smaller implements and working them on a regular basis and typing actually is easier. And if you got a lot of notes you're writing, that might have just been a part of it. It might not have meant to be an added distancing. The fact that the note was actually harsher than what we're being told, I'm guessing is pretty true. I'm guessing there was more poignant language in there about, you know, I shouldn't be receiving this from you or something like that. But this is just because that's all that Rejected Cake has given us to go off of. I'm feeling, though, like this isn't something you can just let go. I'm just not comfortable with the idea of leaving this returned cake as the only moment of outreach and response during this time when clearly you guys were such good friends. I'm not saying take the cake back over there and demand that it be accepted. But I am saying that at some point, I think you are going to want to try to have that conversation of, I am so sorry and I'm really sorry that the cake didn't come across as as well-intentioned or came across as less than what would be supportive right now. And I think that that's an okay thing, that we can accept the fact that this level of comfort and outreach did not feel to the person receiving it like, it matched the level of friendship that you had. That's an okay thing to focus on when you try to readdress this is I'm so sorry. We couldn't come. The first thing I thought to do was to bake you a nice cake. I remember how much so-and-so loved it or something like that. And I am so sorry that this didn't land the way that we wanted it to, because of course we are so sad and we, we want to grieve with you, but the schedules were not allowing that to happen the way that we would have liked to have done it best.
2: It's almost hard to say it about a situation that's so difficult, but I really like that answer. And what I like about it is that you've kept the focus on your intentions and your apology for the fact that those intentions weren't communicated clearly, that somehow it didn't come across well. You're not criticizing them for the harshness of their response or for being ungracious or failing to get what you meant right and i think all of those things are an important part of the how that makes that reach out work and i think there are some things on the side of history the history of the friendship that say it's it's worth that investment it's worth that engagement I was really curious to hear how you would describe it because I had had the other thought of let it go. Mm-hmm. Don't raise it again. If things are happening pretty quickly, as they often do around funerals, you're going to be out of town. The funeral is going to happen. And then maybe you don't want to dig it up again and let the relationship recover. But I like the way that you've done it. And to me, it really illustrates there's not necessarily a perfect right answer, but it matters on how you approach either option or either solution that you that you take, I'm liking your option better as I think about it.
3: My worry about just letting it go, because technically, sure, you can, you can just say, okay, whoa, that wasn't the right gesture. But you've been friends for long enough, and you live next door to each other. Those are the things for me that are making it really worth speaking up and speaking up quickly. And you know what your intent was, You don't want to hammer on the fact that it didn't land correctly, but identify the fact that it didn't. Because when someone is sad, our goal is to do something that's going to make them feel better. This cake clearly made her feel worse. And so as a friend, you don't want that to be what you're ending on, especially during a high stress time. But you also don't want it to become the thing that you try to press and make the biggest issue of during a high stress time. So you don't want your mother-in-law to be chasing down this apology or this moment to reconcile this, you know, rejected cake— you want her to find that right balance between giving it a little bit of space but also addressing it not two months later. You know, I'm so sorry that landed wrong or I'm so sorry that wasn't the right gesture. Instead, you want to kind of make acknowledgement of it but get quickly to the more reparative solution of I'd really like to come spend some time with you at your convenience. And that's What this person is wanting from you is the attention and the being able to grieve with you over this. And I think taking that minute to recognize that is okay in this situation without, as you're saying, going overboard into the place of making it all about that moment when really something bigger is going on.
2: It will also help to remind yourself that this is going to go on for a while, that the funeral is the event. It's the thing that's happening right now, as we said, often very quickly. But the grieving process will continue being neighbors will continue and there will be opportunities to show that support to be there for the neighbor and really investing in that and being sure that you play that role well moving forward is so important. Don't let this moment end up impacting your ability to do that and do that well.
3: Rejected cake, we hope this helps, and we are so sorry for the rejection that your mother-in-law is going through right now and for the loss of her friend.
2: Our next question is about toilet seat etiquette at work.
3: Hi, I work at a male dominated organization and we share a bathroom. I believe it is the proper etiquette to put the toilet seat down in a unisexed loo. However, the fellas in our company consistently leave the toilet seat up, leaving me and my one female coworker touching gnarly toilet seats all day. If, in fact, it is the proper etiquette to put the toilet seat down in a unisex bathroom, what is the appropriate and polite way to instruct our otherwise amazing male coworkers? Are we asking too much to insist that they should be the ones touching a toilet seat? Thank you. Feeling ew about toilet seats.
2: Feeling ew about toilet seats. You're kind of making me feel a little ooh about toilet seats, too. This idea of touching the toilet seat being the problem. Don't I, you
3: have to do it all the time? You live in a house with all girls.
2: Yes. <laughs> and I like the focus that it's not about, oh, you leave the toilet seat up and I forget and I'm somehow going to sit on this toilet that, that the seat does is up.
3: happen. I can't even tell you how often that does happen.
2: I've heard. <laughs> and that's oftentimes the focus. But for me, even if the consequences weren't that dire, there's a – lesser consequence of, just who has to touch that, that I appreciate.
3: Okay, but here, like, gentlemen are asked to touch the toilet seat all the time, like, because if the toilet seat is down, they have to t- t- to put it up. And I was going to say... Unless you have really good aim.
2: And I have to say, I agree with them for getting it halfway right and making an effort to put the toilet seat up.
3: Okay, I want to validate the frustration from the female perspective here only because having a male house guest right now, I'm noticing how often that toilet seat is up and it drives me nuts because it's not as clean looking. It's not as like, you know, it, it just is As it's, ready
2: and inviting? Yeah,
3: it's not as ready and inviting looking and I don't know if this is just my female brain or whether this is like legit. So Dan, give me the inside scoop from a male perspective. Is the toilet more inviting when the when the Seat is down and the lid is up. I think so. Okay, what about when both the seat and the lid are down?
2: I don't know why that seems a little
3: weird. Like less inviting.
2: Yeah, maybe it's because I also I, I want to touch things
3: as connected little...
2: to a toilet less. So, so putting you... the lid down if you're not doing something like.
3: But if you're raising towels
2: the on it or something, lid
3: and the seat at the same time, you're only touching one. It's only like one toilet touch to open and one toilet touch to close. <laughs>
2: just seems less inviting somehow. Hard to rationalize or explain that thought, but okay. it does.
3: Okay. But and and you you like the toilet seat down, so you don't think women asking for that is like a inconvenience. I mean, we're talking about a male-dominated workplace. I'm going like majority minority rules here. Like we're we're dealing with two people compared to what 10, 20, 5, I don't know what the ratio is here to say how much of a perspective shift this is.
2: I was curious to hear you bring that up because I wondered about it myself. Okay, And even operating from that beginning perspective of pick the toilet seat up if you're going to pee standing up, put it down when you're done, being the familial standard, the home standard. (laughs) If you're talking about shared restroom at work where the ratio is clearly weighted one way or the other, having the men put the seat down every time after they're done, does that result in 20 touches where there's just one touch If the one woman comes in and does it, does that start to change the way you approach the basic rule? My thinking is no, but I was wondering how my female Female cousin, cousin. co-partner, president at the Emily Post Institute would approach that. Oh, man,
3: you just added like three titles to that. Okay, so there's there's the part of me that says when we're looking at the situation – Yeah. You've got less people touching toilet seats if the ladies at this particular company choose to just take this on as something. And we're getting a little bit into the like equality standard here. If we're talking about everyone's treated equally and in, you know, in a female dominated space, you would ask for that toilet seat to be put down. Or, on a a 50, regular 50 basis, even, or a 50-50 space 50 Or 50-50 space. And so it's really throwing me for a loop on the what's the right thing to do here from an etiquette standpoint. Because if we're looking at who's involved and how they're affected, well, are we asking two people to do a lift or are we asking 20 people to do a lift? Two lifts, really. I mean, when we think about it. Or one lift, depending on how it's happening and who's what we're doing afterwards. All right. Clearly you've stumped the panel on this one. I keep going back and forth. There's part of me that says there's this kind of like national standard of like the seat down is more inviting, more polite looking at the same time you're working in a male dominated area. And so I feel like you kind of lean towards whatever the easy dominant thing is for the majority of people. That being said, it's also cleanliness and hygiene that we're talking about. So I'm not sure. I'm wondering, is there someone who manages this kind of stuff in your office? Like, is there, is there someone who keeps the communal spaces clean and, and, and kind of not polices them, but offers the guidelines or dictates the guidelines for these spaces. Can you bring it up with them?
2: For someone who has the authority to put up a sign, a little reminder note it, along the lines of only flush toilet paper or please wiggle the handle when you're done. I, we see all kinds of little signs that give some direction in restrooms. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't just take it on my own to go put one of those up. If there was somebody, that might be a quick solution, maybe the easiest solution. Mm -hmm. You and I have wrestled even today with what the quote-unquote best solution is. The
3: right thing to do. Whether the
2: steady state is seat up or seat down, if you've got a real ratio difference. So I don't know if I would push too hard with my coworkers. I might mention it to people that I knew better in a sort of light-touch way that would give people an opportunity to start doing that. If they thought about it, maybe you just start to change the culture by engaging people and getting people to make small changes.
3: Okay. The one thing that we didn't explore with this, not to like bring it around to a new topic, but what about the issue of clients? And if clients are supposed to be using this space, that's one where I would see some serious leverage go up for seat down and maybe lid down as well. That's like, to me, it's a little bit different if we are having, and not that we should treat clients like so much better than we would treat each other, but if the status quo is okay, and clearly it's not because we have at least one employee who's really upset about it, then it to me it's like one thing. But when you start like, this is a space that does quote, you know, like, people that you're trying to put your best foot forward with or engaging with, that's when I would really make sure that that bathroom is getting some serious love and attention.
2: And that's the broader discussion that also might be useful in the sense that if there's a general cleanliness issue, you could talk about general cleanliness and start to have a couple of guidelines that are the standards for how we use and keep the restroom. And that might be a way to approach it without it being about the folks with boy parts and the folks with girl parts. (laughs) Yeah. My final thought yeah. is I know it can sound a little wasteful, but practicality rules. Take a little bit of toilet paper and use it to hold the toilet seat as That's you put it, it up and down, whatever the final yes. solution ends up being.
3: Absolutely. That helps so much. It helps so much. Feeling you about toilet seats. We feel ya, and we are sorry we can't give you a definitive answer, but we hope this sparks some really good conversation and gets you to a happier bathroom place.
2: It is particularly important for you to wash your hands after going to the toilet. You see, it is quite possible for you to have germs in your body which don't make you sick at all. But if those germs get from your hands to the hands of someone else, he may not be so able to resist the germs as you are. Our next question is titled, Left On, On Red.
3: My question today is regarding red receipts for text messages. I dislike them and have the option turned off on my phone, as it's so easy for people to be offended at being left on red. A teenage girl I know sends an audio message of her high-pitched scream to anyone who leaves her on red on to show her impatience and frustration. So just so that we clarify what we're talking about here, many phones have a little notification that will show the person who has sent a text message when their text message has been seen and read. Um, now that's different from when it's just been delivered. So you can have your messages just show that they've been delivered meaning the phone was on and capable of showing the person who's receiving it that this message showed up. On read means that you've actually been able to see when that message has now been engaged with. Now the thing that you have to remember is that sometimes people accidentally engage with a message and they don't actually read the whole thing. So it's not a perfect system but it creates a just massive anxiety for people if they see that a message was read and there isn't they aren't receiving a response to it so just to clarify why said teenager might be sending scream messages back at someone who has on read left on and she's seeing that the people have read a message but they're not responding to it this is also creating a lot of impatience in people Continuing on. Anyone who knows me knows that I am considerate and will always respond promptly or when I have a moment to answer in full, but I am not on call. I prioritize work at work and personal after work hours, which I think is a reasonable expectation. And if it's that urgent call, then call me. I went on a date recently with a charming man who was into me, but intense, and it went well. Afterwards, he texted me to thank me for an enjoyable evening, but also to ask if I could turn on the red receipts option on my phone so he could see if and when I'd read his messages. Having had friends in jealous and controlling relationships and having been in one myself, this was a huge billowing red flag for me. Needless to say, this was a connection that I did not decide to take further." Was I too harsh? Maybe. But I suspected that the next step after red receipts would have been him asking for permission to track my phone's location. I was prompted to contact you when I also noticed a similar dating situation recently gone viral on Twitter. So I have to ask, as this is an issue for so many people, what is reasonable when it comes to red receipt expectations and etiquette? Anonymous.
2: I like this question because it was a tech question and a tech courtesy etiquette question that I had to go look up.
3: Oh, you poor married person. So out of date. I'm like,
2: what are these red receipts? I And I think that I... I could I could get what was going on based on the context of this text, and just to let you in on my relationship with Lizzie Post, I asked her to be sure, and she told me that she had turned them off on my phone for me <laughs> to protect my privacy.
3: Just so y'all know, I also showed Dan how the little switch on the side of an iPhone takes it from call to vibrate, which he couldn't figure out why his phone wasn't
2: ringing. So embarrassing! I had tried every setting on the phone, <laughs> but I hadn't tried the physical the button, button on the outside. <laughs> As far as the etiquette around requesting that someone use these things, you can make a request, but you can't expect anyone to do anything. You you might mention it and get a response like I gave my cousin, which is, I I think I get how this might work, but what is it exactly? (laughs) I definitely think that if someone is pushing hard for you to use something like this, that – you can be clear, you can set your boundaries, but you are not obligated in any way. The only obligation that you have is not to respond to rudeness with rudeness, Right. that you reply in a way that is clear and <laughs> expresses your, your decision-making or is clear in that you don't even know what they're talking about and you will be willing to listen, but you're not necessarily going to do everything that someone tells you. You get to make choices with your phone. These are such personal devices, the yeah. way we use them, the way we allow them to impact our lives – Is an important decision that everyone gets to make for themselves.
3: I will full on say that when starting a new relationship, I would never acquiesce to this request. I would be like, nope, billowing red flag for me too. I am right there with you, Anonymous. That being said, if my partner had developed some kind of insecurity around me, then I might consider it something to help aid in trust building or something like that. But for me, I don't believe that this is necessary. Some people use it for work and it's It's a way to track whether or not things have been seen and taken care of at work. And that I think is really, really different. Dan, I promise that you and I will never do that to each other. Thank you. (laughs) But we're in a position where we don't have to because I can just call your phone repeatedly inappropriately until I get you. And I can also call all of your relatives who all live within a one mile radius of you. So it's a little different
2: for us. Um. But these are effective tactics.
3: They are. But I will say that I don't think it's appropriate to ask someone else to turn on their red receipts in order for other people to see that these have been received. I think that we do still, from an etiquette standpoint, really follow the rule of that if something is really urgent that you call or you call repeatedly, you send in the message what is urgent about why you're calling or why you need to speak to this person now, and then you leave it at that. But I also don't think that you as a new person in someone's life or even really as a friend, like we're talking about the teenager who sends back a message, boy, I would not listen to that message for very long. Like I would, I would stop hitting play on those audio sound bites as they come in. I don't think it's appropriate. I think it's a level of control over your friendships and over relationships in your life that doesn't need to be there. And that's just me speaking personally. That's not like from the etiquette platform, but I think it, I personally just think it's asking way too much.
2: The other etiquette Point that I like that emerges in this question is the idea of making choices about how you use your phone. I love the clarity of I use my phone for work. At work, I prioritize work messages. That means that, oh, this personal call that isn't an emergency, that isn't a dire situation, just has to wait till I'm on break or till the end of the workday. And when I switch or transition to personal time, I do the same thing. I say my personal communication is what I prioritize, and that work text. Maybe I see it, but maybe I don't deal with it till the morning. Exactly.
3: Maybe I'm assessing its priority based on the time of day I'm receiving it on.
2: I love that level of clarity because it allows you to talk clearly about why you would use your phone in a certain way, to make good choices, to not let that device control you, which is the bottom line fundamental advice that I like to give people when they're asking about smartphone etiquette. Absolutely.
3: Anonymous, thank you so much for giving us a chance to explore this. Audience, we want to hear from you. Where are the holes in what we've suggested so far? We're definitely looking at it kind of more from a dating and a um, work standpoint. So maybe there are other places where it becomes more necessary. Let us know your thoughts.
2: our next question is about chubby baby comments hi lizzie and dan any tips on how to handle comments on my nine-month-old daughter's size She's a normal healthy baby, just slightly above average for weight, but everyone who sees her can't seem to help but exclaim, Hi, Chunky, or look at those thighs. The worst was literally, Hi, fat girl. I've ignored them all so far, but I'm really over it at this point. Any way to let people know that I don't appreciate the commentary without sounding uptight or offensive. I'm sure people generally mean well, but I find the comments hurtful. Thanks for your advice. Mom of a cute, not fat baby.
3: Man, this is really tough one because when it comes to babies and fat, it it seems to be a compliment. That's what I. Some people mean it's a good thing. Yeah, or they're just like it's it's like a cuteness thing, and then but our adult brains have been so programmed in this country to tell us that being fat is bad, that when you can't help but hear that your baby's fat, you're going to be very in this mixed, confused state of, I'm always trying to get my baby's weight up and make sure she's healthy and eating and doing all the things that babies are supposed to do, which, by the way, is put on weight. And so it's it gets... Mixed with our adult brain of what we think of the word fat and, you know, and chubby and thick thighs and all that stuff. And yet at the same time, I have never, ever, ever seen someone lean over a baby's crib carrier in their mother's arms and say any of the things that you suggested without meaning totally how cute and adorable and sweet and luscious and awesome this little baby is. So I can understand the split brain on this one where you're just like, ah, stop calling my baby fat. But at the same time, yeah, she's gaining good weight. She's in a healthy range.
2: Like, what do I do? Don't they call it baby fat. And yeah, that's like a good thing.
3: It is.
2: I, like you, am thinking about both sides of this etiquette equation. I'm thinking about the good etiquette that mom is showing, making an effort to remind herself and remember that they mean the best, that their intentions are good, even if it's not coming across that way. It's such a great reminder that etiquette and rudeness is so often not about our good intentions, but about how something lands and how it's perceived by others. And that can be a a lot different than we intend it. And that's the the juicy, delicious, difficult part of thinking about etiquette and how we give offense, how we respond when we take offense. I think you have to keep putting yourself in that space of they mean well. I'm not going to reply to rudeness with rudeness. I might be able to have a longer discussion with someone who i know a little better people you're close to i agree about the ways people comment about babies about the things i hear all the time that i'm starting to get tired about hearing all the time that's a coherent conversation it makes sense but i don't know if you can address it every time particularly when the encounters are brief
3: i agree and i also think that it's really, really normal for parents to have one or two things that kind of grate on them when they hear them regularly about their their children who they spend time with all the time. And that's just true. You, I remember you sharing a couple with me when Anisha was little. I've heard things from my sister, from every parent I've ever known. There have been like a couple of things that people tend to say that are very well intentioned, but they land wrong with the parents. And almost every parent I've known goes the root of exactly what we're saying, which is, spread the word among those who you're really close with that this is something that gets to you and that you understand that they, other people mean well, but you feeling like you have to deal with it every day just gets to be a bit much because those people can kind of become your little whisper ambassadors. And those are the folks that can say, hey, I don't know if you know this, but I even did this Babies Unrelated with a friend of mine who went through a really big change and he just doesn't want to be kind of referred to with the old stigmas and the jokes that that we used to kind of make about him. And so, and it, it was all jovial and fun, but when someone grows out of a stage of their life, they don't really want to be held permanently in that state. And so, you know, I was hanging out, he wasn't around, and some friends brought up, oh, well, this guy, and they said the things. And then I was like, hey, you know, actually, he's really moved on from that. And it's probably a good thing if we try to remember that when we talk about him, because otherwise, it's putting him back in that place every time we bring it up.
2: That's so nice. I love to hear about it working.
3: It really does work if you then, you know, get the word to make it work. Like you can tell those people that are close to you, please help me spread the word, that it just gives me a bit of breathing room and it gives my brain a a little bit of a break if I hear other compliments about my baby.
2: And that brings me to the other side of the etiquette equation, which is always a nice part about thinking about etiquette, which is that they're the people making the comments and there's good advice for them. Also, which is be careful about how you comment about people's kids. Be careful about commenting on people's appearance. Even if you think you're being complimentary, you can mention something about the baby. They look so healthy. They look so good. They look so hale and hearty. They look so happy to be in mom's arms. There are lots of things that you can say that aren't commenting on appearance. Yeah. It's also a good idea to ask questions. Yes. How are you doing? How's she? How's the baby?
3: <laughs>
2: eating whatever it is, you can ask the question that lets the parents set the terms and give you some cues as to what kind of conversation they're comfortable having, as opposed to the drive-by comments.
3: And you can think about it with your own comments. For example, Dan, you can totally blush. Dan's. Little baby Arya is so beautiful and she's like really enchantingly beautiful baby. Now, I get enchanted with that when I see her and I can't stop commenting on how beautiful she is. But I recognize that over- you can keep doing that. By yeah. The way. Yeah. Overdoing it, though, especially for um like parents who are very aware of the whole of their child. I really have wanted to make other comments about how great she is, so I have settled on the word "magical" because it encompasses so much about her. You know, it's like the way she looks at you, the way she engages and smiles—like she is just a little magic baby. <laughs> and then like, but it keeps me from only saying, "Oh my gosh, you're so cute, you're so beautiful. Look at how beautiful you are, you cute little baby," which is only focusing on her looks. And we're gonna let the other parts of her develop. Pooj really liked that when I was talking. Talking to her about why I settled on Magic Baby, and like it's just nice because it allows other other parts of her personality to be incorporated in that, not just her looks.
2: Thank you, Lizzie Post. I didn't even realize that had been an offline conversation with my wife, but it's nice to hear about now. Mom of a cute, not fat baby. Thank you for bringing up this topic. Thank you for giving us a chance to look at the etiquette on all sides of this situation.
1: And this baby will become a full-grown boy
2: or girl and eventually a father or a mother, thus continuing the cycle of human growth. Thank you for your questions. Please send us updates, comments, or feedback on our answers to Awesome at EmilyPost.com. You can also leave us a voicemail or text at 802 858 Kind. That's 802 858 5463. On Instagram, we are at Emily Post Institute. And on Facebook, we are Awesome Etiquette. On Twitter, we are at Emily Post Inst. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette Etiquette in your post so that we know you want your question, feedback, or comment on the show.
3: It's time for our feedback segment where we hear from you about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. And today our feedback on handkerchiefs continues from Vasuda. And we also have a comment coming in from one of our favorite listeners,
2: Maureen. On handkerchief etiquette from episode 257. Hello, Lizzie and Dan. I really enjoy your show and learn a lot about etiquette every week. I wanted to write to you about the use of handkerchiefs. I have lived in India till I was a young adult, and we routinely used handkerchiefs. In fact, I first saw a tissue only when I moved to the U.S. in the late 90s. We were taught never to lend a handkerchief to anyone. It is ours and ours only. Everyone had their own. Of course, if we had a cold, we knew to have some extra with us. It would always be washed in hot water separately and dried in the sun. They were mostly white in color, made of a soft fabric, maybe cotton, so it is very gentle on the nose. Of course, we had some fancy ones for special occasions. I still do use them even today, and now it even counts as me reducing my carbon footprint. Yeah! Thanks for your wonderful work. Keep it up. Warm regards. Vasuda.
3: Vasudha, thank you so much. We really appreciate this perspective. We've heard from one person who grew up in a place where you kept them on you to give away, and now we're hearing from someone else who grew up in a place where you keep them on you to keep for you.
2: I love the idea of somewhere where everyone has one. Yes. So part of the courteous is you just assume people have their own.
3: Yes, they don't have to worry about it. I like the uh, nod, too, that it does help cut our carbon footprints to have them. Our next piece of feedback comes from Maureen in Oregon.
1: Hi, this is Maureen from Oregon, listening to episode number, episode, that makes you guys sound so exciting, episode number 247 about buying a beautiful clutch purse. And what do you do with the purse? Well, I have an answer that really works for me. The deal is I bought one once that when I was fiddling around with it, I realized it had a strap inside of it. And it was built so when you zipped it, you, that strap just kind of like went away. I would simply take that clutch to a really nice shoe repair person or even maybe a tailor because you could actually use something more cloth-like to make a strap that you can hide inside. And nobody cares what it looks like when it's hanging on the back of a chair anyway. And the rest of the time, that thing is just going to be wound up inside the clutch. So this really works. I've done it a million times. Thanks. Love your stuff. Bye.
3: Maureen, thank you so much for that very innovative idea. I like this. This makes it a little easier to deal with the clutch. You can actually then hang it off the back of your seat.
2: Thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please do keep them coming. You can send your next comment or update to awesome etiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a voicemail or text at 802 858 kind. That's 802 858 5463.
3: It's time for our Postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And today we're going to talk about wedding invitation RSVPs. And I think you're going digital for this one, right, Cuz? I am. Talk to me about it.
2: This Postscript began with an interview I did recently for Parents Magazine. And at the end of the interview, which was about children confronting adults who were being rude, the reporter said, you know, I, I, I like to do this at the end of interviews. This has nothing to do with the interview we just did, but I like to ask experts in their fields, what's new? What's going on in their field? Because it gives me a lot of ideas for future articles. So if I were to save my last question and say, what's new in the field of etiquette? Yeah, What would your answer be? And it had been a long time since someone asked me that. And I found myself reflecting on... Our experience at The Stationery Show and coming home from that and being asked the same question by a family member. Oh, yeah? And at The Stationery Show, we were in the world of invitations and correspondence. And something that I heard come up a few times was people talking about receiving wedding invitations and being asked to respond online – being asked to RSVP at the wedding website. Okay. Or people who were sending invitations who wanted to direct people to respond to the invitation via the wedding website, not okay. with a reply card or a handwritten response, because it would be easier for everyone. I came home from the stationary show and this family member who was planning a wedding expressed to me that they really just wanted people to respond on the website. Okay. And they were curious what my thoughts were on that we as that? an etiquette expert. Yeah. And I said, boy, I've been hearing this question a lot recently. And maybe it was because I happened to be at a stationery show where I heard this question <laughs> a lot. <laughs> and I also often deflect or defer wedding questions to my cousin Lizzie Post, who wrote the book. So I, I got some deeper exposure to that world.
3: You had that moment.
2: (laughs) I I thought I had the good answer, but I also wanted to talk with you about it, Cousin Lizzie, and I wanted to hear what our audience thinks about this, whether it's going to be the norm in a few years, whether it's an emerging standard or whether it's a transition that's happening that we're going to see broader adoption on or whether it's something where we want to hold the line on a more traditional etiquette. Right now, We're kind of occupying that liminal in-between space on this. I have heard you say, and the advice that I gave the family member was, of course you could use a wedding website to get people's RSVPs, but I would also take care with people who have more traditional expectations. I would be prepared to receive handwritten RSVPs or for people to not use reply cards if you're not providing them, but to find their own way of getting to you if they're not as familiar with using the internet or using a wedding website to tell someone they're coming to a wedding. It is a place in our life where we tend to look to traditions, where traditions really matter to people. And I think that you have to be aware if you're wanting to use a system like this, that not everybody's going to be on board yet. And the whole idea is to make things easy on yourself, but also to make it easy on your guests. So you want to have those two thoughts at play, As you structure it, as you give the instruction on how to do this.
3: And that is a very interesting perspective difference because some people really struggle with the RSVP reply card. They get the invitation, they fill out whether they want the chicken or the steak, and then they, you know leave it sitting somewhere because they come pre-stamped. So it shouldn't be hard getting it to the actual mailbox to mail. But it seems to be such an unfamiliar thing for people to do these days that it's not happening as much. And that's where people get frustrated on the receiving end of that RSVP because they know people have filled this card out. They paid for the card to be sent to them. They even paid for all the stamps and postage and getting it all right to come right back to them. And this person still can't do that. And that's really really frustrating. The digital one is obviously very easy. It's just a click for someone to go do, but because they don't have that physical version of it, you know, reminding them to do it, they often forget. And so you end up with people who, they open up the invitation, they're so happy to see the invitation, and then it's like extra work making them go to find some browser other on their computer, on their phone, enter in the address, because they can't just click it because it's on a printed thing, and then actually go and get the RSVP done on the site. So they both actually have hang-ups for getting people to do them. My vote is that you do both. I think that's the best way to handle it, is to put the RSVP reply card in just as you would like a typical enclosure, and then to also have the card that has the wedding website on it, and you can say, you may also RSVP here. And I think that's how you hit them both, and you just kind of don't choose one or the other unless you're going extreme green with your wedding, and you really want no carbon footprint or as little of carbon footprint as possible, but you no know, matter what. The couple of weeks before you need to get those headcounts, you're going to be making phone calls. You're going to be reaching out to people. And so at the end of the day, I almost think it matters not which you do, but just be prepared that you're going to have to make these phone calls because people are not good at being these days.
2: I like the idea of using both. You give people both options. You increase your odds and you remove the job of trying to anticipate, oh, these younger guests are going to like this kind. Oh, my great aunt lucky is going to want this other kind you give people the options and you let them do whatever's easiest for them to me that's really good hosting
3: wait a second i'm pretty sure you didn't just pull that out of nowhere we had a great aunt lucky didn't we
2: we absolutely did
3: what a name
2: and she was an ally of our grandmother who said it was okay to send wedding reply cards (laughs) with your invitations
3: begrudgingly she said such things
2: (laughs) she did indeed We're really curious what you think about this. I asked the question at the start and I want to ask it again at the end. What do you think of this? Have you seen it? Do you like it? Will it become the norm? Are we going to think of a mailed reply card as something old fashioned in the near future?
3: We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world. And that can come in so many forms. And today we hear from Meredith.
0: Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I have been listening to your podcast ever since the History Chicks featured Emily Post on one of their episodes years ago now, and I really enjoy it. Uh, I'm calling today with an etiquette salute. I have three small children, two, four, and six. And when we go around town, we bike as much as we can. And one day, we were out and about, and it was time to go home. I got helmets on everybody, got them seated on the bike, and I sat myself down to bike us away. And I was pedaling, and nothing happened. And I realized that our chain had fallen off of our bike. I took a deep breath, realizing I was going to need to get all three kids down and somehow corral them while popping the chain back on the bike, when all of a sudden, a random uh, gentleman walking across the street saw our predicament and came running over and offered his help and got that bike chain popped on very quickly. And so today I just want to call in with this etiquette salute to that good Samaritan who helped a little family in distress.
2: Meredith, I love this salute. There's good etiquette for kids, good etiquette for bikers, good etiquette for how you help strangers. This is such a nice story. Thank you for sharing.
3: And thank you for listening.
2: Thank you to everyone who sent us something. Please connect with us and share this show with friends, family, and co-workers. We love to spread the word about Awesome Etiquette.
3: You can send us questions, comments, and salutes by email to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com.
2: You can leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463.
3: On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst and at Lizzie a. Post. That's Lizzie with an I-E.
2: On Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute.
3: On Instagram, you can find us under the handle at Emily Post Institute.
2: Please consider becoming a sustaining member. You can find out more about this by visiting awesomeetiquette.emilypost.com.
3: You can also subscribe to the ads version of our show on iTunes or your favorite podcast app, including Spotify now, and please consider leaving us a review.
2: Our show is edited by Chris Albertine and assistant produced by Bridget Dowd. Thanks, Thanks, Chris and, Chris and Bridget. Bridget.